Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and your goodness and for the way you show us what love is and the way you keep from showing us what love is not because you show us love. Help us to learn what love is not as well as what love is. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, last Sabbath, I gave you the assignment when you go out of here to read in 1 Corinthians 13 the parts about what love is and then to ask yourself the question, okay, which of these things that love is am I doing well? Which of these things that love is am I not? So love is patient, love is kind, uh, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Those were the questions we were to wrestle with and ask ourselves about and, and the other assignment has been, of course, reading 1 Corinthians 13, but also whenever you come in here to look around the room, look around you and see the people around you and, and remind yourself, these are the people I love. But maybe after you spend a week thinking about patient and kind and hope and trust and all those things, maybe when you start looking around, you start thinking, ah, I don't know. I don't know. But then maybe this is looking at the issue the wrong way. Because when we do that, when we look at each other and make that judgment, if you're a person I can love or not, we're putting love outside of ourselves, right? As though you're going to need to deserve this for me to do it. But maybe that's not the best way to look at it. And perhaps today we can take aim at this self-centered concept of love. So let's go back to our text and, uh, and remember our context here. So 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. So this is our context. We can, be, we can appear to be amazing believers with lots of gifts and abilities, but if we don't have love, then what we're doing is not building God's kingdom. It's not eternal. So after Paul sets that context, then he moves on to explain to what love is and what love is not. So verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So we're going to continue this Sabbath with these four verses. Last Sabbath, we focused on what love is. This Sabbath, we're going to focus on what love is not. So specifically today, we're going to use the last part of verse 4, and then all of verses 5 and 6. So this is our passage for today. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. 
It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So these are the things that love is not. And as we talk about them today, you'll continue to see why the easy part of this series is over and while the real work that began last Sabbath continues today. Because in order to honestly say, these are the people I love, we have to be ready to make an honest effort to actually love the people we say we love. So we're going to talk about words again today and the meaning of words and what those words are going to mean in our life. So we focus on what love is not, and to do that, we will profit greatly, like we did last Sabbath, from reading the words that Paul says and considering those words and the phrases and what they mean when they describe what love is not. And we're also going to do some rudimentary Greek again today, because understanding the words is the first step to being able to live the love we profess when we say, these are the people I love. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Or... In Greek, and here we go, this is rough. Uh, try to stay with me. Let's see if I can do it. Uzeloi he agape. There's agape. We know that one, right? Uperperuetai. Ufistiutai. Uk askemonai. Uzetai tai utes. Uparexuentai. Ulogizatai tokekon, ukairai epite adikia, sugkairai de te alithea. All right, and nobody actually speaks Koine Greek anymore, so who knows if I said it right or not. But that's, that's close. Now, what I want you to notice here is how often you see Ooh. Now, to us, it looks like O and U, right? You see that in front of basically everything. Ooh this, ooh that, ooh the other thing. All right, so in Greek, that little phrase, ooh, means not. So when it says ooh something, it means not this, not this, not this. So that is why today we're saying these are the things that love is not. And perhaps an early lesson we might take today combining it with last week, is there are things that love is and there are things that love is not, meaning there are specific actions we need to do to love, and then there are specific actions we must not do in order to love. So it's to do and not to do. That's the point. So let's take a look today at the no-no list, shall we? All right, here we go. Uzeloi he agape. Love does not envy. Zeloi. That's a very interesting word. So it comes from a verb. It's a, it's a, it's a, a declension of a verb, zeloo, which, uh, at least according to one source, that this was an onomatopoetic word. Do you know what that means? That means a word that is supposed to sound like something. 
And, and apparently this word developed because supposedly this was the sound of water boiling over a pot. So now that you put, a, you put a pot on the stove and there's water in it and you turn the heat on, you put the lid on it, you forget about it, you go into the other wor- room and all of a sudden you hear, that's what happens when the water comes over and it starts to boil and, and make a mess. So that was the root of this. But it went beyond that and it came to mean what we would say to burn with zeal. Zeal actually comes from this word, zeluo, zeal. That's where we get that word. And it means to have a passionate intensity. But zeluoi came to be associated more with being jealous or being envious. And one of the interesting things about the Greeks, apparently they really associated hot things with being angry. Because last week we talked about macrothumia, which was patient. Thumia meant being hot. Macro meant a long ways from. So apparently anything hot to them meant being angry. And so this word also came to be envious, to be jealous. Now we could get confused here thinking that we're not supposed to be zealous or passionate about anything, much less love. But it's not intensity that's wrong. In fact, the very context of the verses around here tell us absolutely that's not true. Because we're in 1 Corinthians 13. If we step back to the last verse of 1 Corinthians 12, we see, Now eagerly desire, now the word there is zelute, which is a form of that same word, eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. And then we go into the discussion on love. And then after chapter 13, we go back to chapter 14. It says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire. There it is again, zelute. Eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So it isn't wrong to be zealous. It isn't wrong to be passionate. But emotional intensity can be dangerous if we allow it to be aligned in the wrong direction. Such as, I am very zealous to have your things. That's where we're not supposed to go. And we see this in the speech of Stephen, recorded in Acts chapter 7 before the Sanhedrin, verse 9. He says, because the patriarchs were jealous, that zelosantes, another form of that same word, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him. So envy, zeal, leads to really bad things. Intensity in love is not bad. Envy is terrible. Now, we've, we know this. There's several levels of reality of this, but one clear context where we know this is the Tenth Commandment, right? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's things. This is the same concept. You cannot love the people. You can't say, these are the people I love. You cannot love the people you see around you if you are destroyed by envy on the inside. You can't do it. Now, let me give you a little insight that I bet you know is true, but we forget. And a good example of that was Tim and Cherie. And you see them and you say, wow, everything goes great for them. They, look at them. But when you hear the real story, of what people have gone through, it changes things. The truth is, if we really knew, I'm going to trip myself. All right, let's watch that. If we really knew 
what was going on in other people's lives, we might not be so envious to live it. It may look good, but every one of us goes through real hardships, real heartaches. And in fact, if we really knew the reality of the person we envy, we might be thanking God we are not them. So keep that in mind. We've got to keep moving here. We're not going to be able to spend a long time on all of these. So we're going to move through some of them pretty quick. So the next one is uperperuetai. What it means is it does not boast. It does not require attention. Now, this word is only used in one place in the whole Bible in this exact form, but, but it's not all that hard to understand. Basically, I would say it this way. Love does not demand to be the center of attention. You ever met that person who's always got to be the center of attention? It's a birthday party, and so they're getting in every picture even though it's not their birthday. They find the ways to absolutely be right in the center of everything. Everybody look at me. Look what I did. And if they can't get attention a good way, they'll get attention a bad way. All right? Love doesn't do that. That's one of the things love does not do. Love says, okay, it's not about me today. And that's fine. Love lets it be about someone else every now and then. There's lots of ways to do it. But let's go on. The next thing. Ufusiutai. Love is not proud. Now, this word actually meant to, to puff up, like to, to be inflated. Like apparently, the Greeks really liked to turn concepts into, I mean, real things into concept words, like grammatical words. So, initially, it meant to be filled up with air. There's another place where this word appears, 1 Corinthians 8, 1. You probably know this one. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. There's nothing more tiresome than a know-it-all. Just ask my wife. She lives with one. That's me. <laughs> That's me. It's kind of neat. It's hey gnosis fusil. Now, gnosis, that's the Greek word for knowledge. That's where we get our word knowledge. Gnosis, knowledge. That's where it comes from. But just knowing stuff makes you tiresome. Love builds up. Now, are you starting to get the theme here as we go along that most of the things that love is not are things that we would call being self-centered? Envious, self-centered. Boastful, self-centered. Proud, self-centered. Let's keep going and see if we can support this conclusion. Now, the next word we see is uk or that's close anyway. Now, the interesting thing here is it's not just ooh. This time it's ook. What in the world is that? Is this a new word? Well, no, actually it's not. It's kind of like, you know how we have a and an? And we use an if the next word starts with a vowel? Well, ook is what you use to say ooh if the next word starts with a vowel, which this one does. So it's easier to say than it is to say so that's why that's but what it means is it does not dishonor others love does not behave in an unbecoming way now we are living in a time where there is something happening in our society right now in the culture that demonstrates that way too many people are not living 
eskemone, not living in a way that dishonors others. And you know what it's called? It's called the Me Too movement. You see, it turns out that there have been a whole lot of people over the years who've been acting in an eskemone, in unbecoming ways. They've been doing things that you shouldn't do. They have behaved in ways towards others that you should not behave. So I want to make a simple rule here that I think we can all understand. Acting like a jerk is not love. Do I need to do that again? Acting like a jerk is not love. Making a big scene when things don't work out the way you want is unbecoming behavior. Pushing yourself on people is unbecoming behavior. Using the power of your position to take advantage of people is unbecoming behavior. Maybe this text will help us. Galatians 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. I can think of some people in the news right now who wish they'd done that. So don't be a jerk, right? Jesus was a lot of things, but Jesus was never a jerk. Don't do that. All right, let's go on. Uzetai ta utes. All right, now, these words look funny. I don't know what Patty was thinking. She just put them up there wrong. No, that's not what happened. I made Patty put them up there that way just so you'd see how the Greek language forms itself. Not seeks the things its own. So, u is not. Zetai is seeks. Ta, the things. Utes, its own. What it means is love is not self-seeking. That's how we would say it. Now, as I reflect on these things, and as I get to this point, there's a statement that is starting to take shape in my mind about what love is not. And, and dare I begin to draw this conclusion. Here it is. Love is not primarily about you getting what you want from all your relationships. Now, if that's true, what's the point of relationships, right? If I can't get what I want, Welcome to the gospel of Jesus Christ, where relationships are not about me getting what I want, but rather me serving in love. How did we learn this? 1 John 4, verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. All right, let's keep going. Uperoksuntai. Love is not easily angered. Love is not easily provoked. This is kind of the opposite of patient macrothumia. This is the opposite idea of that. Instead of being a long ways from angry, this is being angry quite readily and quite willingly. The person easily provoked is the one who always has to have everything the way they want it. And if they don't get things the way they want it, they have a number of options. 
They rage or they gripe or they snipe or they fuss or they undercut or they withdraw or I don't know, what's your favorite way when this happens? I know what mine are. But the challenge of love is to learn to accept things even when they can't be perfect for you. Let's keep going. Ulogitsitai to karkon. It keeps no record of wrongs. Now, this logitzatai is an interesting word. And this concept that Paul is giving us about what love is not is very crucial. Now, this word logitzatai means to reckon or to count or to charge with or to reason or decide or conclude or think or suppose. We get our word logic from logitzatai. That's where our word comes from. It has to do with thinking things through. But in this context, it means specifically to record a version of reality that makes sense to us. And here's where this concept gets tough. And here, if I might say it, is why marriage is so difficult. How does one not keep a record of wrongs? I mean, to fail to do so is just foolish, right? So, so let me just say this. Well, it is somewhat difficult. This is a difficult issue to address because there is such thing as long-term mistreatment that necessarily must lead to a break in relationship. That exists. And the proper balancing reality that at some point I need to do to address a situation like that is not that I ultimately become a doormat for all things. Love is kind, but love isn't stupid, all right? So we need to acknowledge this, and at some point this year, we're going to have to address this in more detail. But we're not going to focus on that today. We're focusing on healthy relationship and how to be in healthy relationship. So how does this idea of love keeps no record of wrongs work? Yeah, that's a good question, and I wish I could tell you exactly how it works, because I don't think I get this right all the time. Ironically, perhaps, or perhaps it's not ironic at all, I seem to keep the closest, see if you do this like I do, I seem to keep the closest record of wrongs on the ones I profess to love the most. The more distant you are from me, you can do something, and I'm like, ah, it's all right. Boy, but let somebody close step out of line. Hmm. And where does it really start? With the spouse, doesn't it? Isn't that where we keep the longest record? Now, I know I'm going to get zero sympathy on this. I get it. Because you all know I'm married to the woman who does no wrong. However, humor me and play along for a minute here. There have been a couple of occasions over the past 30 years where Alicia might have behaved in a manner in which I was at least partially justified for being disappointed. Now, had you been there on those occasions and were to witness what to you might seem a simple occurrence of a minor misdemeanor, you would likely think that I am being irritated by such a minor offense, and it's so unreasonable on my part. 
But see, what you don't know is that this isn't the first time for me. And because I have logizatitokekon, because I have kept a careful record of wrongs, I see how this recent example of behavior fits into the pattern. So what do I do? I load all of my incremental annoyance that I have allowed to build up over the years on top of this most recent offense. And then what do I do? Well, whatever you might call it, it's not love. That's what I do. Now, doesn't this happen to all of us in various ways? Even to the point that sometimes if we keep too many records of wrong, we begin to pile our potentially justifiable hurts not just on the one or ones who actually hurt us, but even upon those who never did. Some examples. Men are all abusers. Women are all harpies. Kids are all rude. Grown-ups are all mean. All African Americans are dangerous. All white people are racist. Do you see what we do? There is a micro scale for this issue, one to one, and there is a macro scale. These are the people I love. To successfully love, we have to take this on at both levels personal and corporate. And the key to taking this on is a most inconvenient comment of Jesus. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Peter thought he was being gracious. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven this is what it takes to to keep no record of wrong. Luke 17, verse 3, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him which leads to an obvious appeal, one that the apostles made before we could have. Verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith, because I don't see that happening. <laughs> Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love forgives. Do you need to forgive? You cannot love if you're holding on to a record of wrongs. But we need to finish. we got one more to go. And this one's kind of long, so let's see if I can get it right. Ukairai epite adikia sugkairai dete aletheia. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Now, there's a number of ways we could flesh this out, but I want to go down one particular road here. And I don't want to step on any toes here today, especially my own. But I have to wonder as I think about this phrase, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, to what degree do my entertainment choices, do your entertainment choices prove or disprove that we are acting and living in love? Do I take delight in evil 
or do I rejoice in truth? You see, it seems to me that we have this tendency to keep falling for the Garden of Eden temptation all over again. We seem to believe that evil is something fascinating, something we want to know about. Now, of course, we would never do those things, right? And, of course, we want the good guys to win at the end, right? But isn't it fun to get that little taste of evil on the way? See, that's hard. Now, the big case here in this statement is that love means we must not do evil to each other, but instead rejoice when justice is done. But there are subtle ways that we delight in evil, ways that no one sees and no one knows. Like when hardship comes on someone we envy, and we delight for a minute in the evil that has befallen them. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Okay, so another word at the very end of this phrase, this rejoicing in truth, is this word aletheia. Now, from the word aletheia comes the name Alicia, which is my wife's name. And it is a truth about her, and she very much cares about truth. And there's actually, she has a middle name, Louise, and that word happens to be warrior. So she's a truth warrior, which has not always been exactly what I wanted. <laughs> At times when I wanted to get by on a little white lie. No bueno, if you get my drift on that. It's not working. I'm trying to learn to rejoice in truth even when truth is not in my favor. That's hard to do. I'm trying to learn because that is what love does. So this is a list of things that love is not. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Which of these things that love is not are you good at not doing? Some of these things we're probably pretty good at not doing. But which of these are hard for you not to do? It matters because Jesus said, John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So I've given you some tasks. And they've, a couple of them we've done since the beginning. The first is reading 1 Corinthians 13 every day. Get these words in your mind. Lay them down. The second is whenever you come into this place to look around the room and say, these are the people I love. Now, I want you to do it. Look around the room. Look around the room. You're not doing it. Your heads are not moving at all. There we go. All right. I can tell when you're doing it. All right. Very good. Up in the balcony. Good job. All right. Now, let's say it together. These are the people I love. Now, here's the thing about today. Yes, it is about the person on the other side of the room. But perhaps this week, even more than last, 
It's about that person right next to you. Do you need to do some relationship repair this week? Because of what you know love is not. Get it done. Because that's what love does. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as weak as Valentine's, but we want to know what love really is. So help us to love the person across the room, but even better, to love the one right next to us. In Jesus' name, amen.